Hi, and welcome to Chatty AF, the anime feminist podcast. We are wrapping up uh, fall of 2023. I almost said winter of 2023 because, or because it is now winter. Uh, we've got so much stuff to talk about, so we're just going to blast through it. I'm Caitlin. I'm the community manager at Anime Feminist. I also write reviews for Anime News Network. Uh, I also edit from time to time when I have the time, which unfortunately is not very much recently. And today I am joined by Tony and Peter. Hi, I'm Tony. I'm an editor at NFM. Um, you can find me on in, um, Twitter, Instagram, and other social platforms at Poet Pedagog. And I'm Peter Fobian. I'm a YouTube man- uh, strategy and content at Crunchyroll, and I'm an editor here at Anime Feminist. I'm uh, at Peter Fobian on Blue Sky now. All right, so we've got so much to talk about because there's a lot of shows this season, and all of us watched a lot with not actually a ton of overlap. So there will be some monologuing. But we're going to try to keep it short, right? Today, right, guys? Uh, Gender neutral guys. Doing doing our best. So I just want to do a quick check in. Uh, We usually skip over Pit of Shame, but I do want to mention A Girl and Her Guard Dog. You know, it it ended exactly the way you think it would. At its heart, it's a fetish anime. You know, if you're into age gap, if you are, if you're not into age gap, don't watch it. If you're not into uh, pseudo incest, don't watch it. That's really all there is to say about it. The animation melted so much by the end that it is actually pretty fun for a hate watch because you keep going. It's all of the off model faces of in these supposedly sexy moments are crazy. They completely fall apart. I do want to point out real quick that if this is something you're into it's still not a very good show but I did appreciate that they kind of do address the experience gap because spoilers they get together at the end oh really wow and he is an adult man he has had sex before many times and so his expectations are okay this girl and I are getting together let's have sex and they kind of have to work through that so I did appreciate that about it, but it's still not a good anime by any stretch of the imagination. So let's move on towards Protocol Rain. So I'm also going to monologue about this one. Uh, I haven't watched the last episode yet because I was traveling around the holidays and then premiere started. It's not good. It gets pretty wild towards the end. There's a whole big melodrama about how this guy wants the main character. God, I can't think of any of the characters' names. So this guy wants the main character to become a professional esports player. And to do that, he has to cast off everything he wants to do. And the little sister, he says, is probably psychosomatically disabled because she really wants her older brother to take care of her and there's a lot of screaming no in the rain at one point like she like crawls out the door and falls down the stairs of their apartment building and he finds her face down at the bottom of the stairs in a puddle and he takes her into the shower and I'm just like no 
don't do that. She probably has a spinal injury. If she was only psychosomatically disabled before, she could very well be, like, for real uh, paralyzed now after you've done this. Don't move people who have fallen down who might have a neck injury, guys. Just don't do it. Um, so yeah, there's like the, um, the, the little sister stuff gets so weird. It's so strange. Really pulling away from the esports. Yeah. The esports is, is like, whatever. It, it all goes into drama. The actress girls, her manager wants her to stop playing because what if someone finds out it's a, you know, conflict with her image. And I feel like you could dig into that where she has to give up things in her life about in order to be successful um and it's not like a time thing you can't have both because they conflict with each other the conflict is you have to put on this uh public persona of being hyper feminine and playing esports is uh counter to that which I don't want to spend too much time on this show because it's not a good show. I'm not recommending it. But that is kind of a mess. <laughs> and there is something that we could unpack a lot there if we really wanted to. But I don't feel like that's a particularly productive discussion. And I... <laughs> so, let's move up to... So this is what Fry has to say about app. Um, which is Yoko Taro's anime this season. Rai says, I'm pretty sure I'm the only person on Earth watching this, despite it being somehow getting a continuation. I wanted to shout it out because while it's not getting a formal rec, I really like it. I'd still primarily recommend it to other people with Yoko Taro brainworms, but it's also easily the most interesting thing take I've seen on the death game concept in years. It feels like it has actual compassion for its characters in spite of the occasional Ed Lordish flair, and the kind of hopeful melancholy I, so I associate with Yoko Taro's works. Did I roll my eyes when there was a monologue about Schrodinger's cat delivered by the antagonist to his saintly blind sister? Absolutely, but in an affectionate way. I did find myself wishing it had been a game rather than an anime. The aesthetic is striking, but it does look unavoidably janky in a way that would feel more forgivable in an interactive medium. Also, the opening and ending. Both jams. Uh... Also, take this with a grain of salt because my knowledge of Japanese is fairly rudimentary, but it does kind of bother me that the protagonist's familiar, Lol, is referred to as she in the subtitles when nearly as I've been able to hear, the dialogue either avoids pronouns or uses indirect language like Koitsu when talking about them. Possibly there was a nuance I, for I missed that the translator caught, but it did stick out. Alright, those were Bri's notes on camarebigod.app. Now... Y'all can talk about the 100 girlfriends who really, 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 really love you. Um, by the time this comes out, it will be clear that we are not putting it on our recommendations page. Um, and I guess I should explain why, um, despite the fact that I was very glowing in my three-episode review. Mm. So, um, I mean, there's some really obvious problems. Um, the thing is that this show is, like, pretty well-written. In terms of comedy, it is very funny. Um, the girls are, most of the girls are great, but then, um, the last two arcs have introduced two girls who, um, are, are less great. Um, 
I forget her name. Chemistry girl. What's chemistry girl's name? Is it Kutsuri? Oh yeah, it's Kusuri? gotta be Kusuri as a joke. Yeah. Why? Why is that a joke? Hi, Kusuri. Kusuri means medicine. Oh, of course, she's medicine girl. Yeah. So I mean, her whole shtick is that she like drugs people without their consent, and then they have all these weird side effects and are really and hate the fact that she drugged them without their consent, and then they abandon her. And she's like all scarred from having people abandon her for for drugging them without their consent. Sometimes in Perhaps sexual she ways. Perhaps yeah. yeah, she should stop doing that. Yeah, maybe. Perhaps she should stop doing that. And then Rentaro's reaction is not to be like, hey, let's figure out other ways for you to experiment with this with that don't require human subjects or require people without their consent. No, his reaction is, I will always help you clean up any mess you're in. That is not a good mindset. It almost reminds me of, like, when we look at, for example, situations like Nicki Minaj, who covers for her, like, abuser boyfriend or like just all these situations where people or where people cover for their abuser partners and like it's just like represented as this act of love when it's not it's enabling um yeah i fucking hate her i i despise her as a character um the only good thing that came out of her arc is when hakari imagined what it would be like if she got the um the the titty growth juice and it's just the most absurd Eldridge horror you've ever seen. And that was very funny. But, mm-hmm. but you know, that's like say, basically saying, like, the best character in the show, Hakari, objectively, um, salvaged a tiny little grain of, like, gold from the worst character in the show. And then, and then you know, the last arc with Hakari's mom. Obvious gay age gap problem. You know, obvious, you know, pedophilia problem. Um, not even going to go into that. Not worth it. Um, but the other issue is just that a lot of the show is about, like, these horizontal relationships between the girls, especially for Hikari, given that her and, um, Suntare girl, like, there's a running gag that they are, like, actually in love with each other pretty much as much as they are in love with Rentaro. Like, it's heavily, like, they, they, like, kiss, they, like, they snuggle up together and make out in their sleep, they're, like... It's kind of a running gag that they're both bisexual, which, you know, gag bisexuality is, especially for female bisexual characters, is starting to annoy me, like, after, I don't know, like, seeing it in The Good Place and now in this. Um, But it is nice that they're bisexual, don't get me wrong, I like that. But then to have Hakari's mom become one of the girlfriends introduces all kinds of problems. I, I don't know if you should be in the cuck chair while you watch your mom fuck your boyfriend I, to be very vulgar about it, right? Like, situations like that are what could arise, right? And I don't want to think about that. That's weird. All sorts of things are just arising from this that I don't like. Is it still well-written? Yes. Did I still cry at certain points? Yes. But is it something that I would recommend for on a feminist anime website? Absolutely not. <laughs> That's fair. I did. I am curious uh, what you thought of the uh, cross-dressing gag in. Was that the last episode? How that was. Oh, involved. I thought that was very funny. I I liked that. I liked that. I I I think I mostly liked that because I got to see Nano um, in that absolutely amazing Prince outfit. Yeah, I I think uh, it kind of started out uh, where I was like, uh oh, but then I do think it wrapped up nicely by having the mom go well. If he is unconscious then we need to bring him back by having 
I, Nano, dress up like a prince and then kiss him to bring him back to life. <laughs> I was like, wow, that's some amazing internal and, logic. That's very good. <laughs> and, like, and it really fakes you out because you it makes you think that, like, she's having sex with him. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah before was... that. Yeah, the, the, the scene <laughs> implies that they're having sex when she's make, uh, dressing him up in a schooler outfit. Right, which <laughs> is an interesting bait and switch. Yeah. Morally neutral. I don't have any feelings about it other than it being like, okay, that happened. Mm-hmm. Wasn't particularly funny. And then, of course, you know, there's the whole peeping thing, but, you know, it's like, yeah, all the girls have an arc where they peep on Rentaro, you know. Yeah. That's what happens in the last episode. Yeah. I think it does a lot of, uh, like, interesting stuff with rom-com tropes, but at the same time, it, it, it is using those rom-com tropes and ends up falling into the pitfall even if it kind of fakes you out at the end yeah and i mean the thing is that like i think the show is saying some interesting things about polyamory and about polyamory and specifically like toxic monogamy culture or like how monogamy culture can like and uh, gosh i know i'm using a very discourse laden term but you know like for example right like uh, hakari's mom's arc you know being kind of that she if she started having sex with other people or dating other people that's like betraying her 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 loved her the memory of her dead um boyfriend yeah which i thought it was interesting to think about how like ideas of jealousy and monogamy and like you know um you can only one one love one person prevent a person from like grieving and mourning and like fully Mm -hmm. moving on i thought that was a really interesting idea but again you know the show is as i said it's not a poorly written show it's just a show i would not recommend to anime feminist people yeah or you wouldn't recommend it on a feminist level. Exactly. That's what I that that would be a better way of putting it. Yeah. On a feminist yeah. level, it does not it doesn't work. No. But it's but that doesn't preclude it from being a good show. Yeah, and it doesn't also doesn't preclude it from certain people in the anime feminist community liking it. Okay. So let's move forward to the Yuzuki family's four sons, which I have also I am also the only one who watched it. This one, I also need to still watch the last episode. Still a lovely show. One of my best of the year, honestly. Not a lot new to say about it this time around. So let's move up to Tear Moon Empire. Which I am somehow the only person on this show watching it. To be fair, I've watched the opening like 300 times. So, so, I mean, the opening does kind of give the vibe that you're looking mm-hmm. for. It's a great opening. Yeah. What can I say about Tear Moon Empire? It, it's a really fun show. It continued to be fun to the end. Political revolution and, and what's going on there. It's a little, it was a little disappointing to me that, spoilers, it didn't turn out that the revolution was just because Mia was a crappy empress. Because I personally think that that is a perfectly valid reason. And if she doesn't want to be executed, she should learn to be a better empress, which is kind of what the show was about, except that it was about her selfishly trying to avoid death and just becoming an empress in the process and fooling everyone into thinking that she was she was really smart and canny when she was actually just like 
pretty dopey, which is fun. It's a fun premise. I don't feel like I have a whole ton to say about it. You know, maybe someone will disagree. Maybe someone will have more to say about it. I'm sure it'll come up in our recommendations. It's a good romp. So, yeah. Yeah, it's fun. It's it's just, it's super fun. Um, it's got pretty solid animation. I really enjoy Mia. It's funny. Um, it's not the kind of series that I think is going to stick in my head very well. It's, I don't want to say it's stand, it's standard because I like it more than a lot of other series, but the kind, it, it has the same kind of tone as a lot of kind of the Regency-ish, villainous-ish series that are out these days. Do you know what I mean? Like, like Magi Revo, for example, it's kind of the same vibes where like there's this big cast of background characters and they're all really fun, but they've got kind of like this shallow characterization. It's got kind of that, that art style. Um, You know, the main character is a total doofus, no thoughts, head empty, and everyone adores her, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's a good show. I recommend it. So, next up, uh, Peter, do you have anything to say about Shangri-La Frontier? Uh, not much. Uh, maybe I should bring up that it turns out the the like promoted in the OP and all the key art stuff is one guy and, and two girls who are kind of like the central trio of the series. Uh, they finally introduced the short-haired, blonde, punchy girl who it turns out... Uh, I, don't, I don't know if I need to give it too much. Uh, it's played by a boy and the kind of reveal for that is very matter of fact um there's no jokes about it or anything uh they're saying like oh he just likes to play girl characters um and kind of even explains it to an npc like you shouldn't judge people based on appearances uh which i I don't know if i want to say is exceptional or just exceeded what i was expecting to be the reveal when i when you're given that knowledge uh so there's that otherwise it's just a lot of uh did you like sort out online? Well, that we're doing that too. Oh well, I didn't like sword art online, so I I gotta give it credit or credits due. That's what I'll say. The end. So next up, I am going to monologue a little bit more for a couple more shows. It looks like about Paradox Live the animation, which is not a good show. Wait, that, wait, did we, is this a new revelation? I remember you saying it had a, a lot of good characters. Well, <laughs> no, it had a lot it's of good not characters, a, but it wasn't interesting was the problem. Yeah. yeah, it's not, it's, it's not a new revelation. Okay. It is definitely the same thing that I have been saying since the beginning, but I did watch the last episode minutes before recording. And it just it is an ensemble show that does not know how to juggle its ensemble if we have time i'll talk about hypnosis mike because i can't help comparing the two they're both about rap battles (laughs) like literal rap battles that's all there is to like i cannot help the comparisons Hypnosis Mike knows how to juggle its ensemble a lot better. 
Mm-hmm. It still had the issue where the main characters were the most boring group that honestly had the least going on. I don't understand why they're the main characters. In the end, the big reveal is about an entirely different group. And they literally just wander up and then they say some platitudes and everything is okay. Uh, the ending twist comes... Th there's an ending twist about Cosmes, the twins. Or, yeah, I think they're twins. Which, I guess, is decently foreshadowed. But there's a whole thing about... A whole thing about how this guy wants to use phantom metal to merge everyone's consciousnesses. It's just... It's the instrumentality project. Slash, it's code Geass slash whatever it's it's the exact same conclusion as like every single other series that does something similar where they say we have to you know think about our group and love our friends but at the same time we are all individuals and we don't want to become an actual literal hive mind and thus we must fight against it which I mean, that's fine. That's pretty much correct. I don't want to become a hive mind, uh, despite what people may say about us at Anime Feminist. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just, it's not original. The characters that I'm interested in never really get their arcs. My boy Hokusai and, and Simon, like two characters who are just so made for me in different ways. Their Their backstories aren't, revealed one of them's a widower i love widowers they're so sad in such an appealing way <laughs> so paradox live not very good it's a pretty show i'm i'm disappointed i i wanted it to be good but you know what is good overtake uh but i i don't actually have that much to talk about with regards to this show in particular with this well with this particular discussion um i do think it is legitimately a really really good show like easily it, i didn't put it in my top five for the season but it is definitely one of the best of the season it's got a lot to say about recovering from trauma um even it talks a bit so the main character koya He's has, you know, he has trauma. He has a hard time taking pictures of human subjects because when the big tsunami hit in 2011, he took a picture of this girl who was about to get swallowed up and he got a ton of criticism, you know, and, and it's the same stuff that photojournalists always get. Why didn't you help them? Uh, why did you sit, just sit there and take pictures when someone was dying you know mm -hmm. even though it is photo i think i personally think photojournalists do a really important job it's important to document these kinds of things and what was he going to do to save this little girl from a tsunami he was just gonna he would have just gotten swallowed up too um but people aren't don't think that way they just think why didn't you save I her and her. <laughs> yeah, I would have saved her. I would have leapt in the path of this huge wall of water that killed hundreds, thousands, and dodged, and, and I would have done a, a roll. 
I would have tucked and rolled and I would have been okay. So a lot of the plot is about him recovering from that in parallel with Haruka um, moving forward from his own father's death and his survivor guilt because it's always survivor guilt. And it's a really just a really beautiful show. I did have a thought as I watched. Oh, man, people are going to ship these two, aren't they? Even though one's like a full ass adult and one is a high school student. God damn it. People are going to ship this. Which, you know, shippers are going to ship. Oh, yeah, I have a similar complaint later on in this podcast. <laughs> to its credit, it, it didn't feel like it was doing the tiger and bunny ship teasing thing. It felt more like, like, there's not it just a simple way to sum up their relationship. It's two people who needed each other, who were able to, whose problems worked in such a way where they were able to lift each other up. Like, it is a friendship, but it's something more than that. But it's not romantic. It doesn't feel really familial either. It's not mentor and, and mentee. I've been watching 30 Rock. It's just, you know, they have this bond that isn't really easily definable. Which I think is really interesting. Yeah. Kind of like a, a yeah. sweetness and lightning. Yeah, kind of like that. I, I, I would say that's a fair, like, it's a decent parallel. It's a decent parallel. Mm-hmm. So let's move up towards my new boss is Goofy. Tony. Boss is Goofy is... I mean, it's just, it's kind of the same as where we were in the mid-season, where it's just very, it's very sweet, very ship-teasy, very, um, but still, like, queer people do exist in this world that's represented by Kincho, love him to death. He's still flirty and fruity, which I appreciate as a combination. Um, and, you know, the, the two co-protagonists are still essentially a married couple, living together um the show ends and i mean spoiler alert um he moves out but like into like the next door apartment so it's like they can still basically act like a married couple only like just come over whenever like they're sitcom a sitcom you know found family i still find the senior boss to be a one note character who's annoying and i kind of wish that he would get over himself because his whole shtick is anytime other people are having joy he's like but nobody will ever love me. And then someone else has to be like, I'll love you for him to just not just fall into a a void of depression, which I don't know. Like, I don't want to blame people for their own mental illness, but also if that's like your entire character, I think the show needs to do a better job of writing that character. Do something with, with that self-loathing. Right, because... Like, do some... Yeah. Because I think on one hand, you know, there there does need to be room for, like, m- characters with mental illness in shows that, that just kind of, like, exist within the show and don't, like... It doesn't have to be fixed for them to be a part of the found family in the show, right? But I would like to see some character development. God damn it. But anyways, Boss is Goofy is fine. I like it. It's a good show. It, it made my recommendation list. Um... Yeah, I, I I still stand by my review where I said it's Fujoshi bait. Um, That's a hot take. 
I mean, is it though when like literally there's a a character in the first episode who like is like our point of view, not a point of view character, but like basically an audience surrogate like lady who like looks at the two co-protagonists like, oh my god, Shirosaki's harassing him with a big smile on her face. Like, it's it's not even hiding it. Anyways, moving on. Moving on to Migi and Dolly, which I believe you two both watched and has been recommended to me because apparently it handles the twin thing actually really well. Yeah. T- tell me your perspective, Peter. I've been talking a lot. Oh, well, just a, a, a yeah, Caitlin, I, I was uh, specifically thinking of you and the later development where, you know, the, I, the, I know your feelings toward twins, especially like identical twins. And it, it seemed like the last arc was kind of made for you. Uh, in regards to how it treats their the development of their relationship and kind of both of them as individuals. I mean, is it is it more interesting than everyone thinks of these two twins as the same, but they're actually different people and they have to forge their own identities? Um, well, everyone does literally think of them as the same because they've been masquerading as a single person and switching places. But uh, I think what it comes down to is it's them both beginning to realize that uh, they... Uh, like they've been they're really i mean obviously they're very close um and they've really been relying on each other because that's how they've survived up until this point uh and they've had this like singular goal that's defined all of their actions um, but as the story develops i think they they begin to want different things in relation to that goal and uh that begins to kind of pull them apart because like one of them is still bent on revenge and the other one kind of decides uh, that revenge isn't as important to him, and he he because revenge to them was a meaning a means of like achieving a new happiness, right? Uh, and their their methods all they 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 start to argue a lot about that their methods and what they're willing to do or sacrifice to achieve this goal, um, and that really creates a rift between the two of them. Um, and so like the, for the first time they're fighting, um, and eventually they are kind of they get to the point where they. Just go. Obviously, we can't work together. We have to live. We're like two. We're too different now. We can't work together on this goal anymore. Uh, and they have to kind of come around to appreciating their differences. Uh, and uh, I wouldn't say treating each other as different people, but uh, kind kind of recognizing that there's value in their differences, uh, where previously they've they found so much power in in being able to collaborate and uh, like kind of obfuscate their different identities with other people uh, so i think what what shines through really strongly is like them saying like well us being brothers the most important thing is that we want each other to be happy no matter what and we are going to be very different people so no matter how different we become we still have that connection um so i i think you'll like it if you watch it mm-hmm. i'll also say i think the twin thing the the um that kind of arc of like differentiation is a little more thematically resonant because their um whole becoming the same person was a was a um coping mechanism and survival strategy right for like surviving the organized abandonment they had they were experiencing as foster care um as i guess adopt adoptive children um you know formerly in the foster care system. So it was it was very, um, I found it really thematically resonant. Um, yeah, the, the, the whole conceit of them even pretending to be one person is that only one person's going to get adopted, so it's the only way to stay together. So 
Um, I don't think it, it was like they were doing it for fun or anything. They were just like, this is how we don't get separated permanently. <laughs> uh, outside of that, it's kind of difficult to, I guess, analyze, at least from where I'm sitting, just because the ending, I mean, I loved it, uh, but it was, it was, it just got so out there. Uh, and, and like really like lean into this like crazy uh, switch between kind of like this ludicrous almost like humorous surrealist style and like this pretty horrific <laughs> uh, like narrative and at like the events like like genuine people getting murdered on screen and it, it, like going between those two near the end I, I think it really balanced out well and it was like uh, 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 the ending was really great the last like three or four episodes but uh, i don't i don't know if, if i could really say i don't know if i have much to say like like critically about it besides the fact that it was it was just huge <laughs> yeah i will say it was like no other anime i've ever seen and i mean that in the best way possible absolutely fantastic anime um i think that um the development of Mickey and Dolly as characters and how they change is incredibly compelling. Um, I think that, um, I think Dolly is definitely trans. Um, I think that there's a whole thing where he, he, he likes to cross-dress. Um, even, and, at, even at the very end, like the final, like, uh, what the... Not the epilogue. The, yeah, the epilogue. <laughs> they, they just fit it yeah, in again. He, he yeah, tra- yeah he, they do. Sally is part of the family. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I really love Maggie and Dolly. It, it's making my top five of the year list. Um, I just... I, I Most of my thoughts about what's so amazing about it are in the mid-season podcast. You can listen to that. Um, in short, it's just a really powerful um, investigation of, like how people cope with organized abandonment and then how do people like come together to resist that um and try to find a way out i love it so much oh it might be Um, worth mentioning i I feel like some of the the i I don't really this this is kind of like just something i want to bring up i don't really feel very strongly about this um but i do think it kind of like framed the villain as uh being like a, a woman who's kind of twisted by the fact that she's barren and can't give birth to children which kind of turns her into this monster who like brings about all the events in the plot uh which is kind of yeah not too great but i don't think it made it a big part of the well there's that but also i think what ameliorates that a bit is a couple things i think first of all it's like very clear that she is extremely invested in particular kinds of ideals of womanhood right Mm -hmm. and i think that um and saw her job her job as to kind of like mentor other people in those ideals of womanhood right and then eventually that that kind of role becomes like this almost i must make the entire town conform to my idea of the nuclear family yeah yeah it, it was kind of part and parcel to her perfectionism, yeah. Yeah. Mickey and Dolly's really good. Watch it. <laughs> so, we're moving on. Are there anything in the notes about I'm giving the disgraced noble lady I rescued a crash course in naughtiness? No. 
No. Anything to say about that? Nope. All right. So uh, let's move up to free run, which I am still behind on. I'm behind Got through on the that. demon arc. I did get through the demon arc. I feel like that's been discussed a lot. Yeah. I just want to say, I think it's it's a potentially really interesting concept, but they didn't go, they didn't follow through with it as much as they should have. They didn't, they, they let too much human society creep into how the demons interacted with each other in the world, and therefore it didn't come through I think and had a lot of the same issues that every fantasy series has with evil races yeah um yeah Peter do you have anything new to say it say about it so it's not just me rehashing what we've talked about uh well uh, bleeding a little bit into the second core here I do feel like uh it's kind of pulled back on I mean, it still comes up, this thing. Uh, the, the basic formula has kind of just become sort of a humorous adventure series where there's kind of goofy interactions between the characters mixed with kind of more uh, serious moments, like the, there's this dance scene that everybody's been talking about uh, between Fern and Stark, uh, where uh, obviously they're doing like some romance between the characters. But I think it's kind of sliding backward into kind of more of a standard adventure series, which if you like the interactions between the characters... And of course, the gorgeous animation and stuff, and with the occasional reference to Himmel, uh, then I mean, it's still good. Uh, very recently, they've moved into like they're doing taking some sort of magical exam to get a, uh, a certification so that they can cross some sort of threshold, which uh, just feels like it's about to enter like a shonen esque tournament arc, which I'm not too enthused about. Um, but <laughs> that is all to say, I think it's kind of these like uh, themes about temporality and mortality that it was focusing on in the early season and I mean it's, it's kind of hard to continue just making the series just about that uh, are kind of taking a backseat to just present day adventures the party being kind of funny and offbeat a little bit and having so this is no series. to your eternity no, yeah, yeah. Two Year Eternity uh, definitely had a thesis that it was sticking with. Uh, Freyran, I think, is just kind of like its fantasy adventure now. Yeah. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, that's I'm gonna be really honest. I, I, I'm through the demon arc now, and I just genuinely don't think that Freyran is much is as deep as people think it is. But that's all I really have to say about no. it. No. I like it, although my anime club did decide to drop it um we were just too far behind <sighs> i'm probably going to try to catch up i mean it's fun so let's uh i did drop firefighter daigo it was it was just too boring it was so boring and no one's watching it so i can't hear whether or not it's gotten better but Let's talk about Bullbuster for a moment. <laughs> there are a lot of series where a lot of stories, a lot of anime and otherwise, where the main enemy is a big evil corporation. Right? Yeah. 
And the answer is always a plucky group of individuals have to take them down somehow. Bullbuster is kind of that basic idea. But as the show goes, it becomes, it, it delves more into kind of the structural reasons that corporations are really hard to knock down. Turns out when a company has a lot of money, they have a lot of tactics available to them to avoid consequences, such as buying out smaller companies that would oppose them, such as denying access to resources, such as having the control and the ability to cover up their actions. And that's what Bullbuster is about in the end. Okay, so it's, not a happy ending, I'm gathering. It's on a relatively small scale. Like the, the main conflict is on a relatively small scale. You know, it's this one island and uh, this one plant. So they are able to uh, overcome the enemy through, shall we say, direct action to some, maybe eco-terrorism to others. Oh yeah. I love Final Fantasy VII. <laughs> it's good. It's it's really good. It's So it's not a, the bad guys don't win, but also there's this feeling of, well, we took care of this problem, but they've managed to weasel their way out of real consequences still. Okay. I can respect that. And yeah, and they, and they are still a problem. Yeah, that's real. But we're still, yeah, we're, but we're going to enjoy this one victory that mm. we've got. Yeah. Yeah. So many of these series, I think kind of don't know what to do because they kind of, uh, have a recognition of that or they come they, mm -hmm. they are, want to talk about a problem and they don't have any ideas for a solution so it just ends like decadence where they just like ask the the government nicely to completely change itself and they're just like i was just waiting for somebody to be polite um so yeah yeah i i, I think this kind of ending <laughs> uh that i i respect that more where you're like i don't have the answers but we can t take small victories yeah yeah because these series want to tackle problems that don't have solutions, right? We haven't figured out the solutions in the real world. So you can't just create this solution out of thin air in fiction if you're creating something that has a lot of parallels to the real or, world. Or at least the solution we do have, maybe they wouldn't be cool with us broadcasting it on television. Yeah. 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 Was just thinking that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it really goes into like a lot of the tools that big companies have in their toolbox. Also, charismatic CEOs who are really good at saying the right things. I, I do think there's value in kind of like, uh, kind of like a, uh, referencing a podcast citations needed, but kind of revealing the tools that corporations use to misinform mm -hmm. and, and manipulate like public sentiment or get themselves out of trouble so that they can be recognized in the real world too. So, yeah. yeah. Um, I do want to do a quick update about 
kind of the thing that I was critical of in the mid-season where the one character who was a big stickler for the rules uh, was kind of being written as a pain in the butt. He was right. Like, he was still a pain in the butt, but his kind of, he did a lot of malicious compliance, which is another tool in kind of the activist Mm. toolbox uh, that you don't see a lot of in these kinds of stories. Um. Yeah, no, it was it was really cool. It was a, a it's not like a good series to watch if you want just like or fighting mechas and the idea that a bipedal robot is somehow more useful than like a tank is silly. But it's still like I really really ended up liking what it was doing. Um I I really I don't I can't think of anything I've seen like it in anime. One thing I think it could have gone into more is how governments are also complicit, if not active participants in these kinds of things. Like the government was very like hands off with this. Although maybe that's the political situation in Japan. I don't know too much about corporate law there. (sighs) Yeah, no, Bullbuster, really good show. Uh, Another show that has good ideas is Our Dating Story, The Experienced You and the Inexperienced Me. I've got a lot a lot of what I feel about it is the same as in the same as what I said in the mid-season podcast which is that it has a good heart it's sweet it covers a lot of like it it talks openly about kind of consent in relationships um not just and not just consent but enthusiastic consent and kind of how sex interacts with a lot of aspects of relationships it's just so boring runa and ryuto are just such boring characters <laughs> it'd be cool if this story about consent had leads with chemistry or interesting leads yeah because yeah. then yeah I, I want to believe that these people conceivably want to fuck each other. <laughs> I There's a line in the last episode where someone's like, yeah, you know, Runa, you and Ryuto really seem to be the perfect match. And it's like, yeah, because they're the two most boring people in the world. <sighs> there's like a few other things thrown in for drama. Like there's the whole drama with her twin sister. They want to parent trap their parents. I want the character writing of My Love Story, which is another very, very sweet romance, but with really engaging, fun characters grafted onto the storyline of this. I feel like that could have been, that could be a great series. Also enough with the the sweet, innocent gals, y'all. Come on. Gal subculture is so much more interesting than that. Let's actually do something with it. Putting out a call. So yeah, moving forward. Do we have any notes about I'm in love with the villainous? We do. Uh, I'll go ahead and read those. So Vrai says about I'm in love with the villainous. Functionally, I'm at the same place I was at mid-season. There's a big old heartfelt mess by a queer creator feeling things out, which makes it compelling. Um, I'll pick up the light novel eventually, there is, unfortunately, a bonus warning now for a romanticized sibling incest, which is discussed but not shown. 
I rolled my eyes pretty hard, and it definitely took me back to 80s, 90s manga where artists got away with depicting queer positive romance, or positive queer romance, excuse me, by lumping it under the veneer of sexy forbidden love, which you usually had to put up with some incest ships too because of that. Um, I don't think it's going... Um, I'm going to recommend the anime, though. It's visually stiff. It doesn't cut anything from the source material that would smooth out the adaptation and make it stand on its own better. And it ends when it feels like it's finally starting to get into the good stuff. My understanding is this is because the second light novel is very thick and pretty dense. So they were, they pr really poured over book one and barely got into book two, but it makes for a frustrating viewing experience. Probably go for the light novel and manga instead. That is Vry's thoughts on love with villainous. Uh, we can move on. Y'all can talk about Shy now. Uh, Unless we have notes about Stardust Telepaths. We do? But it doesn't seem like anyone really... Do we? It doesn't no. seem like anyone really... I don't think... I didn't see anyone discussing that show. <sighs> Sorry, Yuri fans. It seems like this one just didn't get people's attention. I wrote the recommendation for it, so you can read my recommendation. Just generally, good show. I like it. I've written a lot about it. You can read any of my writing if you want to know my thoughts on it. Peter, what are your thoughts on Shy? Uh, I don't know. I I have mixed feelings about the series. I definitely think like some of the side character stories are really good. I think especially Pesha's uh, thing with her mom. Uh, and I mean, basically the, the, the big climactic battle of the first season took like, what was that? Like four or five episodes altogether. I thought that was really good. Although on the same note, I'm, I felt very, uh, like it had emotional, a lot of emotional impact, but also when I kind of like think about it, uh, abstractly, I feel like it was very kind of ridiculous and emotionally manipulative with like her mom having the most tragic <laughs> thing that could possibly happen ever happening to her. Uh, Do you mean so, the cake shock? The cake shock uh, moment. Yeah, yeah. Just well, I mean, her whole bad like orphan into single mom that can't feed her kid into being given a cake on Christmas miraculously so she could feed her hungry daughter and then being like basically just murdered by a homeless man uh, before she can give her daughter. That sucks. Yeah. Yeah. So I will I, say though the con yeah continue continue with what you're saying yeah I, I'm just like like it, it's just like it kind of reminded me of um what's that series about there's a series about the, a psychic girl uh that the lead in it, it was a meme for a while because somebody had posted up a video where it's just like her backstory which is the first half of the first episode and it's the most ridiculously tragic series of events you could possibly imagine where at, at a certain point you're just like I'm being emotionally manipulated right now. Um, yeah, so, like, uh, yeah, I mean, it definitely, it worked. It had a lot of impact, but uh, uh, it's still unclear what this is feeding into. Um, and, I, you see, I don't, want, I don't know what to say. I feel like I, I might need to watch the rest of it before I can really make a determination on uh, whether all this is worth it. I can definitely, it's, it's, like, it works from the emotional angle. I think it was very well presented, and, you know, I was like, dang, this is really sad. I'm really sad. Uh and it had the catharsis at the end when the the fight kind of you know when when they solve her problem and show her that uh, she was loved and all that. Uh, unfortunately, Shy herself, I don't think is a very 
I don't know if there's a lot to her. It's just like, she's like, yes, I have anxiety. Um, but I don't think the series is very interested in exploring that at the end of the day. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know where I fall with it. Uh, I'm going to check out season two. Uh, I'm, I'm interested in, like, the whole conceit of the villain. Um, and I think, depending upon, like, what the villain's actual plan is and how they kind of uh, bring that out. I hate to, I feel like I say this a lot, but I kind of, like, need to finish the show before. <laughs> I I'm, I want to pass any judgment, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't entirely agree in terms of the, like... I, I have very complex feelings about, like, poverty porn, for example, because uh, having worked with a lot of students who are in foster care or, or like, in those sort of situations, while on one hand I do think that, like, I, I said that I said this in my recommendation. The the view of foster care and orphanages in the show is extremely rosy in the sense of while the kids are there, group homes are not a fun place to be in real life. Yeah. Um. Really not fun. Um. What you mean when you get a bunch of children who have been through terrible stuff and put them all in a place together with insufficient adult supervision, bad things can happen. Yeah, you don't say. Um, and so I, I, I think that, that that frustrated me. But in terms of, like, the idea of the um, after people lose the support of even the, the tiny little support that they did have, because the foster care system does provide a slight amount of support for these kids, right, versus being, like, completely on their own, right, which is what happens when foster kids often, when they turn 18, the transitional process is often very non-existent um i thought that that was honest like the idea that like losing that can be a devastating moment for a young adult and then can lead to a cycle of poverty um now in terms of like hunger and stuff i don't know much about russia i don't think this is necessarily supposed to be representative of a specific like i mean theoretically it is russia right uh, I don't know much about Russia's social safety net. I can't speak to the verisimilitude of that or whatever. But, you know, I again, this is why I have complex feelings about quote-unquote poverty porn, you know, especially as somebody... I've never, I've never been in poverty. I didn't grow up in poverty, even if I have, like, very close family who did, like my mom. Um, so I feel unqualified to really speak to, like, how poverty is represented on screen. Um, anyways, um, yeah, I... Complicated feelings, but overall, I like the show. We can move on. Okay. All right, then. I believe we none of us watched it, but I believe we have some notes about uh, Precure Full Bloom. Uh, we just have the recommendation. Um, if you want to know more about okay. Precure Full Bloom, uh, take a look at Dee's recommendation. It's it'll It should mm-hmm. probably be up, I'd imagine, by the time that this podcast goes up. So... Uh, D has a recommendation for that. All right, let's talk about the Apothecary Diaries. <sighs> I feel like Apothecary Diaries needs an entire episode to itself to really fully talk about. Maybe I'm just saying that because there's that's been true of other stuff we've talked about, but I'm watching the Apothecary <laughs> Diaries. Okay. <gasps> yeah. I just I really love this show. Yeah, it's great. Um, I love how it kind of delves into the idea of 
the power relationships between these characters, uh, between Jinchi and Mao Mao, and how Mao Mao is so aware of it all the time. But he's not because he has the luxury of not being aware of it. His life doesn't hinge on not offending Mao Mao. As much as she might want to kill him sometimes. Um, Mao Mao is just a super duper fun character. I love her. I love Aoyuki's uh, character for it. I am going to drop a hot take here. I'm totally okay with shipping Jinji no. and Mao Mao. No! I, I, so I genuinely think... No, I literally so foreshadowed oh, I hate their relationship. I'm okay with it. <laughs> I'm okay with it. I honestly, I sincerely think they are the end game ship. Uh, uh, I don't like it. Like, even if you don't personally like it, I do think that they are the end game. They are going to get together by the end of the show. Oh, okay. So we better get used to it. Well, I think a lot of people agree Or with not the you. show, by the end of the I story. I think well, anime trendings, like top... Uh, romance of the season by fan vote uh, was a tie between Himmel and Freren and Jinshi and Mao Mao, I think. And I was like, Wasn't it Fern and Stark? Uh, no, I don't know if they'd done the dance thing by the time the votes were in. Uh, but you, you could be right. I just don't think. I don't. I just don't think Himmel and Freren is a particularly interesting. I I, I I remember just seeing the tie and going like, I don't. I don't like either of these. I don't. <laughs> Just the power imbalance. I guess I, I looked it up. They're actually pretty similar age, although it does not seem that way looking at the show. She's like like two feet shorter than him or something. He's tall and she's short. He's, you know, he's he's had uh, a lifetime of good nutrition <laughs> and good sleep. Yeah. Just uh, she's, In general, her she's size not... compared to most characters makes me think that she's very young compared to... Uh, almost everyone else in the cast. Like, they are adults and she is not. She's just short. She's just short. Short people exist. They do exist. I I have friends who are couples who are over a foot apart, you know? It's it's so funny. As a gay Asian person, I'm always surprised at how many um, people who I date who are actually my height, given I'm 5'4". And I'm like, oh, yeah, because I often date Asians, so... A lot of us take it for granted. Are, <laughs> What'd you say? Yeah, we are yeah, it, uh, we're taking it for granted over here. Yeah. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mr. Six Show feet tall. Privilege, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is yeah. That, is we that Tony and I are the same height. Yeah. Yes, we are. I feel I feel like okay, we'll talk more later off off pod. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> all right, should we move on? Uh, do we do we still want to keep talking about this or I'm trying to think about, you know, what there is to say about other than kind of the discussion we've had about the power relationships. Um, And I do think if there is going to be a reason not to ship them, I think the the power imbalance between the two of them is probably the most valid one. Also the fact that she does not seem interested at all and he keeps coming onto her and she just is trying to like slither out from under him all the time. Listen, (laughs) listen, listen, listen. We could get into Uh that. I did. uh, (laughs) We could get into that. I'm choosing not to get into that because that will turn into a whole debate. Um, I mean, (laughs) there are plenty of reasons not to ship them. I think the most um, concrete one is the uh, is the power yep, imbalance yeah. because that is also such a thing in mm-hmm. the show 
but you know um yeah it's it's a really fantastic show mm-hmm. <sighs> i've said that so many times i feel like there's going to be more to say to... about the show because uh, because it's continuing in the the next mid-season mm-hmm. and wrap up based on like some of the new story arcs it's getting into because it seems to be wanting to pay more attention to, to uh current and new members of uh like the, the courtesans that this whole their whole court mm-hmm. kind of surrounds so i, I think uh, there will be more uh thematic insights to look into probably mm-hmm. as some new plot developments come out yeah. yeah i do gotta say that the the i'm an episode behind the tall girl with the eyebrows is really hot <sighs> anyway so sit, <laughs> let's move on because we do want to touch, there are a couple of uh, sequels and carryovers that we're going to want to touch on. So, 16-bit sensation, another layer. Uh, I don't think any of it, well, I, I have not basically watched it since the last cast. I know, I think Alex brought it up. Um, I think it, it kind of was not actually interested in the kind of what seemed great about it at first was it was kind of like a celebration of a medium of art and kind of wanted to delve into a person's relationship with that art by allowing her to travel to the past to see it like created in real time um but it seems like the way things have developed in the plot it's more of a kind of like weird it's about its own artifice basically like, what ifs based on if the past changed. So it's like, what if America was the one creating AAA visual novels or something mm, like that? I did see American, yeah, American Fate. Saber. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I and, and kind of like her relationship with this dude ultimately affecting how he developed the games. Uh, so I, I feel like the, the main appeal where it's like uh, you have this woman who's a fan of uh, the, the visual novel uh, genre it's not about her actually getting to like interact with and better appreciate this medium or you know get new insights out of it based on her experiences in the past it's more like what if she went into the past and changed the future and then whoa the future's so weird uh and also Mm. she teaches a guy a very important lesson uh who and that, (laughs) that causes him to change the future of the visual novel genre yeah so uh I have not caught up, but I don't know if I want to anymore. So I have, I do have a question. What I thought was really interesting, because from what I could tell, it was mostly focused on Bishoujo games. Do they do anything with the main character being a girl who loves Bishoujo games? Because I know that is a type of person. They're just not the main audience. So do they do anything in particular with it, like why she is so drawn to these stories that are about getting to know girls in a rom- largely getting to know girls in a romantic context and or fucking them. Uh, I don't really think there's anything in, in regards to like, uh, so her appreciation for the game, well, first of all, I think it, she has experience with the genre uh, and that's why she started working in it. It's just the the industry has changed. So uh, the types of games she wanted to work on had very, like, ambitious plots uh, and, uh, like, kind of, while it has beautiful girls, it's also got a a lot going on with, like, the story and the world building and, like, cool visuals and stuff. So she, Mm -hmm. it's like she's behind the times, her own times kind of thing. Uh, 
and and wants to bring back the way things used to be. Um, as far as like her appreciation for the girls, I think like she definitely likes the art style, and they do get in up to a bit about like how, you know, since there was uh, fewer pixels on the screen, they had to you would create the like illusion of curves uh, based on like the pixel arrangements and the the way they like would draw the thing and then like scan it. Uh, in black and white and then color it in on a screen. So like kind of like the, the art form she has an appreciation for. Mm -hmm. She definitely likes the girl character designs. She herself likes drawing cute girls and stuff. But I, I don't think they really get into anything like, uh, uh, yeah. Right. Uh, well, I don't, I don't know what to. Right. Or even just like not, not necessarily about her being attracted to, to women, but just if there's anything any way that her gender interacts with her love of the game but it sounds like there isn't no uh some of the people that she meets in that i think they did kind of uh, put on display the fact that that industry does have a lot of women working in it specifically female artists um mm -hmm. so she's kind of like kind of part of a uh, I, I like this they don't they don't really get into it it's just like what you see um is the, like that a lot of women want to draw cute girls and have been and have been an integral part of this industry they're behind a lot of the like iconic designs from games that you recognize because uh mm -hmm. anaplex owns a lot of these properties uh so, so they specifically like call out uh titles uh that were uh that were produced by anaplex or at least the anime adaptations were um so yeah you you can kind of see that for sure all right. Okay, cool. That is something that I was wondering about. So thanks for uh, talking on that a bit, Peter. So that wraps up our discussion of all of the one core shows. Let's touch very quickly on a few sequels um, and carryovers. Peter, uh, Tony, I know that you wanted to talk about ZOM 100. I'll give room for you to do that at the end. I just want to check in about the things that I was watching. Hypnosis Mike season two. If you like the first season, you'll probably like this one too. The wrapping gets better overall. I did. There are too many characters. There's just too many characters now. That's it's so many boys, 18 boys, not counting the, the, the um, antagonists. It's so many boys, not counting the antagonists. I can't believe I'm saying this, but too many boys. It's just, it is too many boys. I like, one of the new groups, their musical style might be my favorite. It's got kind of an electro swing vibe to it. Uh, I'm not a big rap person. So yeah, it's, Hypnosis Mike continues to be fun. I was really hoping that the world government would get a chance to rap, but they don't. Oh, well. Maybe next time. Uh, Spy Family. You, the cruise ship arc is awesome. I really wish we had more time to talk about that. Because I think from the perspective of the site. The cruise ship arc has the most to talk about. Um, about yours relationship with her work. And what she does. And kind of the the cost of raising a child in this situation 
she gets to have some really cool fights, which is great because she does not do that for most of the show. And I just want to say they should animate more fights where one of the characters is wearing a fit and flare dress because it looks really cool. You could do, there's so much motion with those skirts you could do. They, they go out when you spin, they swoosh. Animators take note, fit and flare dresses, great for dramatic motion. And I think that's it for me. Peter, did you have anything that you wanted to check in with very quickly? Uh, agree on Spy Family. I think it's great that you're got a focus arc where she's being introspective because I think a lot of the time she just ends up being kind of goofy, awkward, or silly drunk. Uh, so it was a great arc. Um, Ancient Magus Bride uh, sure took a long time to get there, but uh, as is typical with Yamazaki stories, it really nailed the ending. Big moment of catharsis. Uh, I'm, I'm doing a write-up for 2023 Rex where you can read a bit more if you're interested. Um, but damn it, this, this show's still got its claws in me. Uh, that's all I've got. All right. Tony. Tony, you really all wanted right. to talk about yeah. Psalm 100. Finish us off Yeah, the We're going to give you the rest of the time of the show. Box. Which is, like, not much, but I'll, I'll, I'll take it. Um, so, yeah, Psalm 100, the reason I really want to talk about it is because there's absolutely no way that I'm recommending it. Um, <laughs> I really, and so, and so I'm not going to have any other opportunities to talk about it, so I have to talk about it now. Um, the, now here's the thing. I was going back and forth about whether or not I'd recommend it. I was really going back and forth because I think that there's some stuff, a lot of the problems at, towards the beginning of the show are really ameliorated in terms of, like, the female cast gets centered a lot more the um the middle arc is particularly fantastic where um akira kind of falls back into old habits he gets kind of brainwashed into being back into his old boss's cult you know of like and i think this idea of like workplace as cult is really interesting in the show um and it is very interested in how ptsd can make a person further susceptible to violence and exploitation in the workplace and otherwise, um, which I think is a very sophisticated analysis of how capitalism operates, which is to give us all this kind of collective PTSD around, like, you know, getting fired and, you know, make that experience such an experience of suffering that none of us ever fight back. Um, so I, I think that there's a lot that the show does really well. Um, the problem, here's the problem, the show has such an intensity of hatred towards fat characters. And over and over again equates being thin and conventionally attractive with being morally righteous. Every single fat male, every single um, predator character in the show, every time a character is... Like, there's this constant sense of sexual menace, especially towards, of the men towards Shizuka, and towards the women, Akira's love interest generally, right? Like, from the for episode one, uh, Akira's love interest is, like, you know, being sexually harassed by his, his, his boss, right, you know? And then Shizuka gets harassed by his, I mean, by the top of the company boss. Then Shizuka gets harassed by his old boss, and then, you know, in the end, like, you know, there's this, uh, another character who, and... Um, who I'll get into, but all of these characters who are predators are represented as fat. 
I do not think that's a coincidence, especially given that all of the main characters in the show are extremely conventionally attractive. Um, and then you get... And thin, obviously. And then you get to the last few episodes, and there are some images in the last few episodes that just really typify what Deshaun Harrison talks about in Belly of the Beast as being anti-fatness as anti-blackness. The way that uh, uh, one of the, the pr- this predatory character's lips are animated in this kind of grotesquely swollen way mirrors like this kind of blackface imagery and this extreme idea of blackness and fatness as like sexual predation, right? It, it's really grotesque and, and really violently anti-fat, really violent and arguably, you know, drawing upon anti-black imagery because that character is a little darker skinned and has braids in their hair, which kind of degenders them. So it, it's just incredibly violent in its hatred towards fat characters. And I, I just couldn't in good conscience recommend a show that is so blatant. Um, in, in such a, in such a, um, way. Um, yep, that, that, and I just needed to say that somewhere, because it really made me, it really frustrated me, because otherwise I really like the show. But the more that I thought about it, the more I thought about the image of, like, this kind of swollen, like, lips that are symbolic of his sexual menace, the more I just became obvious I could not recommend it. Like, yeah, that's no good. Yeah, I mean, it's anti-fat, it's anti-black, it's all kinds of different things, right? Uh, yeah, especially when combined with the the Dread story arc, the Dreadlocks. Oh my god! Yeah, exactly! Like, the show... And the thing about the Dread story arc is, on its own, I, I you know, other characters kind of call him out as being like, you know, that does not look good on you, right? It's not a good look. And he gets rid of it, right? But, like... When you combine it with, you know, a character who has, you know, braids. Now, obviously, they don't look like actual black person braids because, you know, but that character being represented as this predator, then you re- it really just makes it obvious that the show has a problem. And I, that, again, this is another show where I'm like, I'll probably keep watching, but for, uh, for a, through a feminist, intersectional feminist-minded lens, I cannot recommend it. Okay, well, that was a lot of shows we just talked about, guys. Did you enjoy our discussions? Agree? Disagree? Watching something new because we recommended it? Let us know in the comments. Or even tell your friends. Say, hey, I learned about all this great new anime from this really cool podcast. If you do so, would you consider please donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash animefeminist. We have three tiers, starting with just a dollar a month, which gets you monthly site updates and staff recommendations. Our $5 tier gets you ad cas- uh, gets you access to our Discord and bonus podcasts. Um, we also have a store, animefeminist.com slash store. Our logo is amazing. Uh, and if you want to learn more on Anime Feminist, you can find links to all of our socials. Uh, we're also on Tumblr at Anime Feminist, Mastodon at Anime Feminist. I believe we have a co-host now at Anime Feminist or a 
blue sky on my feminist we no longer use twitter uh that site's just become too much of a toxic waste dump so that's it uh thanks for enjoying our show it's so cold outside guys stay warm